Thank you. You can put them on those two stands. Thank you. So what you should be able to do now, church family, is anyone in these gray shirts with the with the student logo on it, they should be able to, if you walk up and say, what is the gospel? They should be able to tell you in just 15 seconds or so and be able to, to explain what it is and how their story fits in with the gospel story. We've just this weekend slowed down. It's, it's so often we, we assume, hey, y'all go live out the gospel or go talk about the gospel, go share the gospel. But we just wanted to pause and really go back to the main thing. That there's nothing secret or hidden or deeper or more important. But that the gospel itself is the highest and the best. God, you see, God went all in on his first offer to us. He didn't, he didn't look at us and say, well, let me start, start low and, and working up. But he began with his son, Jesus Christ, and the good news of what Jesus did. So this weekend and this morning, we're just going to focus on not a new commandment, but just from the very things we've had from the beginning. My wife and I have, have uh, coming up on 15 years of, of, of marriage, we've been friends for for over over 20 years now. That's, that's, um, I'm, I'm embracing being middle-aged, getting used to saying that. I said it out loud and I paused. I'm like, that's not possible. But it is. So, uh, but one of the things that she, you know, I have my interests. I have, I'm into Star Wars and Marvel and I like, I like the nerdy kind of stuff. But her, her interest was not, was not nearly so fascinating, as, in my opinion. But um, my whole, since, since I've been married, our whole office and our schoolroom, it's all decorated in, in, in Wizard of Oz from top to bottom. There's, um, we have flying monkeys and we have uh, ruby slippers. And there's actually a bunch of, I don't, know how, I don't know why people thought this would be the best Wizard of Oz memorabilia possible. But we have like eight Wizard of Oz nutcrackers that are lining like the top of our shelves. It's like a nutcracker version of the Tin Man. It's just kind of strange. But we have, like that's so... So y'all, y'all, if you come over, you'll see, you'll see our Wizard of Oz room. But one of the, the things about, about this Wizard of Oz story is that Dorothy is there in her, her black and white normal life. She gets transported away to Oz and faces all of these, these things. But right from the start, as she enters in to the main part of the story, she gets the ruby slippers. They're on. They're there the whole time. The very thing that she got as soon as she entered into the story, she put them on. And they were the key to the whole thing along the way anyway. She just didn't, didn't realize it. She thought, I need to go do this and do that and be all over the place. But the answer was right there, right under her feet the whole time. She just had to realize what she already had. And that's what we're going to look at this morning from 1 Corinthians 15. It's going to look at the thing that we start with if we are a church of Jesus Christ. If we have an individual relationship with Jesus Christ, we're going to start right with the heart of things. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. He just says, remember the gospel. In this letter, Paul has talked about 
all sorts of things. He's talked about divisions in the church, sexual sin, lawsuits, the work of the Holy Spirit, principles for marriage, how to conduct a worship service, personal rights and freedom. How do you eat food that's been sacrificed to idols or do you not? He's talked through all sorts of different practical issues. And this letter is the second, at least second, of at least four letters that we know of that Paul wrote to this particular church. And he also visited them repeatedly in person. So this is a a place that he knows well, he communicates with often, and he says to them at the end of talking about all of these important issues, remember, I remind you brothers and sisters of the gospel. This is like if we were right before Super Bowl Sunday, And you go back to the old Vince Lombardi speech of this is a football or back to my days as a, as a math tutor a long time ago, getting through seminary. And I would, I would teach uh, algebra lessons. So after, after school, they couldn't get their algebra two stuff. And usually the problem was not that they didn't know how to do algebra. The problem was basic multiplication. Like what's, what's seven times eight. Uh, And then they'd miss the whole algebra problem. So it's like, just, this is a football. This is your multiplication tables, just the very basic, simple things or what we take for granted and skip over. And then it throws us off. But if Paul were writing to us today, I think he'd look at us and say, we've got students serving others. We've got VBS plans ramping up. You can sign up starting today uh, for middle schoolers too. You've got mission trips. And life journey group, Sunday school lessons and finishing a school year and family vacations and maybe the health of someone that you care about. And then the the worship songs are different. And do we like them this way or or that way? Or we have someone new in here and something different. And why is Kevin up here instead of Joe and all these things? I need volunteer hours and our brains just jump around all over the place. And Paul says, let me remind you, brothers and sisters of the gospel. This thing that's just so simple and yet we struggle to define. It's not all the Bible. It's that, but it's more than that. It's not just Jesus' life. It's not just the four books that start the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not just God's love. But the gospel is good news. That's what it means, literally. It just means good news. And the good news is this. That God, our creator, is perfectly good and holy. And that we people are sinful and rebellious against our creator. We we want to live life the way we want to live life and not his way. And because of that, we've rebelled against the one who made us, designed us. And he is perfectly within his rights and ought to punish us. But instead of punishing me for my rebellion, he sent his son, Jesus, to live the life I couldn't live to die the death that I deserve and to be raised back to life on my behalf. And then he just tells us to put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus instead of in ourselves and to do it now because we're not promised tomorrow and because eternity is real. That's the gospel. And that's why also there's these threads. It's actually yarn. Um, in In the CLC, we used ribbon and it didn't look as good. So we switched to yarn. But the reason we have this all over the place is just to remind to remind ourselves all weekend that God is, God is good. We are sinful. Jesus is the answer. We need to respond in faith 
And we need to do it because eternity is real. And really those five threads of conversation, you can be in absolutely any conversation and follow any one of those threads, just like you can from the balcony to the stage. Please, please don't try it. If you're up there, don't, they're, they're, it's, it's yarn. It would not go well. So, um, so Kurt, I'm talking to you. Yes. So, okay. So, uh, but you can follow the thread and get to the gospel, no matter, no matter where you are in the conversation. So, Remember, let me remind you of it. In, in movies, in cartoons, we've all seen the plot over and over again of, of someone gets amnesia and it's either funny or it's sad and they're going about life and they, don't, and they just don't remember the basic things of who they are, of what matters the most. You with me? You've seen this kind of, everyone's seen a show about that? Yes. I'm going to reveal myself as a child of the 80s in, in its fullness. When I think of amnesia plots, I think of Kermit the Frog getting hit by a bus and, or getting hit by a car. And then he doesn't remember that he's got, he's got a whole show to put on. And then what happens is his friends find him and the way that they remind him who he is and snap him out of his forgetfulness is Miss Piggy karate chops him through a wall and throws him against the wall. And then he wakes up and, he, and he, he's like, oh, I remember, I, I'm Kermit. And then they do a song and dance number and they live happily ever after. But thankfully, Paul, is, Paul has not, and we're not going to karate chop anyone through a wall. We just say, remember, like we've got to go back to the thing that we already know. Be reminded of the gospel, brothers and sisters. And then we keep going in verse one, the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Past tense verbs. So the gospel starts in our past. The gospel is our past. If we are in Christ, if we are genuine believers and followers of Christ, the gospel is our past. It's an entry point that happened at some particular point, whether we know exactly when that was and remember it all or not, there has to have been a point where something happened that changed who we are. I became a husband. I became a dad. I became a believer in Jesus. There's a moment where I walked on and walked, walked down in the aisle and put this, this wedding band on, which won't come off now because sometimes, so it's, it's on, it's secure. So I remember the time that I was in a hospital in Indiana and they, I was handed a little baby for the first time and I became, and the weight of being a dad hit me and I'd never changed a diaper before and here I am holding this person and I was transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son in whom I have redemption and forgiveness of sins. That is who we are if we are in Christ. It is our past. It's the thing that defines everything else about me. And there has to be a definitive and personalized point when it happened. We looked at that last night. We had a whole panel of people up here that talked about different ways that it happens. Maybe you have been at church a long time and never connected the dots. Maybe, maybe the, the whole notion of Jesus is something completely outside for you and you hear about him one day and you had no idea about the Bible or the things of God. Or maybe you're someone whose parents and grandparents were singing Jesus loves me to you in the womb and you can't even remember back on a time when you didn't know that to be true. In any of those cases, God's at work and you moved and you had this time in the past where God grabbed the hold of your heart and changed you from within. And if you are, if you are a Christian, it's true for you. Just like you either paid your mortgage, paid your rent, or you didn't. Your paycheck either went into your account or it didn't. If you're a Christian, you heard the gospel preached and explained, 
and you received it. The gospel is our past if we are in Christ. And at the same time as we keep going in verses 1 and 2, the gospel it can't just be our past. The gospel is our present. You see the verbs go from past tense, I preached, you received, and then it flips at the end of verse 1, the gospel in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached, unless you believed in vain. So the gospel is our present. Too often and too easily, we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus paid it all on my behalf. The old, old story, all these things that we've heard and, and thought through, and we think, okay, that's good. Jesus died on the cross for me 2,000 years ago. At some point, I trusted Christ. I got it settled, and we lit, and we leave it there, and we think of the gospel as something that I did or something that I believed but that's not the way the New Testament talks about it. That's not the way Paul talks about it here. Uh, we're really appreciated having Britt and Johnny with us for the weekend. It's been a lot of, a lot of fun. It's been great to, to have these guys leading us in worship. The, the, reason, the way they, they got to be here is uh, Britt and Johnny right now, they both live in Nashville. But Britt and I are from the same hometown, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. We, uh, we're in the same youth group. Uh, same, same schools. So Britt graduated. He came back and was a leader in my, in my student ministry. So I've known Britt since I was one of y'all sixth grade guys. So, uh, so we go, we, we go way back and we were having dinner Friday night and catching up on like 15, 20 years and of, of, uh, yeah, probably more than that. If I've known my wife 20 years, there's a lot, oh man, I am middle-aged. So, uh, we're gonna have to pause and just have an existential crisis for a second. No, we're moving on. Uh, but we were, we were talking about, about life and, and he was, we were, came up our old, our former pastor. He was the one who baptized me. And of course, at the time, I know some things that are happening, but I'm oblivious and I'm just bopping along because I'm like 12. So Britt and I were talking about him and how Britt had gone with, with Pastor Steve, uh, over to, over to minister somewhere else. He, another church had asked him to come preach and Britt went along with him to do the music and, and something I've been chewing on all weekend, a story about Steve that I never, that I ever, never knew. But he said, as, as why am I dragging you over to another church? Why are we doing this? Why am I going to preach? And he said something along this line, this, this lines, I don't, I'm not going because I want people to accept Jesus because they might die tomorrow. And that, this is an odd statement. I'm not preaching to them because they might die tomorrow. What I'm thinking about as I'm telling them about Jesus is that they're probably going to live tomorrow and that's why they need him. So we, we have this, 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 this halfway understanding of all that the gospel is. Uh, this, when we go to the state fair in Raleigh, uh, I haven't been in several years growing up in Rocky Mountain, I went all the time, but haven't been that close to Raleigh until we moved back to Greensboro a few years ago. And we haven't made it out to the fair yet, but you go and you buy a ticket and it gets you into the fair, but then that ticket, you have to leave it, you get in, but when you get to the rides and the fun stuff, that ticket doesn't work anymore, right? You've got to then go buy more tickets, more dollars, more dollars. Okay. I want to ride this ride that's going to spin me around to make me sick. There's three tickets. I want to ride a really big ride. There's seven tickets. And all of a sudden my admission ticket doesn't do me any good anymore. It's even the same way at 
like Carowinds or Disney World or Dollywood, wherever you go, you pay this large amount of money to get in. And then my kids want more money to pay for the things that aren't included with admission. They want the arcade game or this big bouncy thing and more money, more money and more money. So you got, you guys, parents, you've been with me on that. So that's just the way it works. And we think the gospel works that way, that the gospel is our admissions ticket. And then we switch to some other kind of ticket to, to actually enjoy things and to do things in the park. And that's not at all the way it is. It's not like the state fair where you have two tickets. The gospel is it. It's the thing that begins, the thing that roots our past in it, and it's the very same ticket that we use to figure out how do I, how do I apply the things in God's word? How do, I, how do I deal with the sins that I know are in my life? How do I, this, this troubled relationship, this thing that's stressing me out, we have to come back to that same gospel ticket, that same thing in the present. Because if we think of the gospel primarily in terms of a past decision or a one day when I die, I'll go to heaven or a get out of hell free card. And it's, it is those things. But if we think about it in just those terms of, of this thing in the past, then, then we need to have that Dorothy moment when we're, we realize that we're walking around Oz with the ruby slippers on the whole time. And it's right underneath us we walk, every step we make is in the gospel and we never, we just, we have it here. That's how we apply it. That's how we live it out. We, the gospel is what we stand in right now. The gospel is how we are being saved. The Holy Spirit working in us now. We are holding fast. We are holding on to it for dear life now. These are present tense things. We're holding fast now to the word that we heard in the past. And if we, the past action is in vain without the present work of the gospel in us, not our present work and effort, but his movement, the Holy Spirit's movement in my life. Now I should see that. Of course, there could be times when, when our sinfulness, when our confusion, when our bad choices mask that. So I'm not saying at every moment there's exceptions, but as a general rule, if there's an entry point, a true entry point has happened in the past, the present reality will reflect that. My dad's family is originally from Minnesota. So a few months ago, if I had hopped on an airplane and gone up to visit my cousins and my, and my aunt and uncle up in, in Minnesota in late January... If I made this entry point into Minnesota, my reality would have been completely different. I know some of y'all are from Michigan. The same kind of thing would have happened. If you show up in Minnesota or Michigan in January, your present reality changes because of your past entry into it. Like you're going to be zero degrees and piles of snow. That's like we can't miss it. But we do miss it here. And that's why Paul reminds us that the gospel is of first importance. Because we can't afford to miss it. Look at verse three. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. It's the defining event that changes the course of everything else in my story. If it's true that Jesus took the punishment that I deserve on himself, then it changes absolutely everything else in all of reality. Jesus described it as a buried treasure in a field 
That if you go and you're digging around in the field and you see this treasure and you're like, oh, I want that, but you don't want to steal. So you go and you, and you cover it up and you go and you sell your house, you sell all of your, your livestock, you, you, like you, you go without food for a week and you save up enough money so you can go back and buy that field because the treasure's worth it. He talked about, you see this pearl of great price. My, my little girl is nine. She's starting to see the, the, the lure of jewelry. So um, she's, she's looking at this and her eyes are like, oh, this is a cool, this is a cool thing. But you, and it's such a fantastic piece of jewelry that, okay, I'm going to go sell everything because this thing is what matters. It is of the utmost importance. And Jesus says that's the way his kingdom is. That's the way his gospel breaking into the world is for us. If it's true, it's the most important thing. And it's not just a feeling. It's not just hopes. It's passing forward what we previously received. What Jesus did and told his disciples, what they firsthand saw about him, they passed along to their disciples, to their disciples, and on and on. And this is what's been passed down. Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel begins with that Jesus died for us. That means the good news, the fundamental most good news of all reality, it starts off and it doesn't cast you and I in a very good light. We enter the story as the villains, as the ones who rightly deserve punishment. It's not very flattering. We are the, we're not the ones that we appear on the scene and you're rooting for us. We're the ones who are the rebels who God should zap with lightning and he would be good and right and justified because we rebel against the way that he made us to be and we shake our fists in, in his face when, we, when it's pointed out to us. That's our, that's our default as people. But he doesn't leave us there. That he died, that's what sins are. are it's not just the things we do, it's our attitude our thoughts. It's this thing that says, I'm the center of the, I'm the king of the universe and God is not. And we want to knock him off his throne. That's the way we're wired from the start. But that's why Jesus died. So not only is the good news starting off with us being really bad news, but there is a, there is a hero who does walk in not to defeat the villains, but to save the villains. And he does it in a very bloody, painful, messy way. He doesn't come up and just angel choruses and and legions of angels and I'm in charge and boom, zap, it's the way it happened. But instead, the punishment that I deserve fell on him. He was brutally executed and tortured on my behalf. Took what I deserve because of my rebellion. That's what it means when Jesus died for our sins. When I'm talking to my kindergartner, Jesus took the spanking that you deserved and he took it for himself. It's way more than that, but it gets us thinking along the right lines. That's what it means that Jesus died. He substituted what I deserved and he was slaughtered on my behalf. That's where the gospel starts, but it's not where it ends. Because as we go and continue in verse four, we see that Jesus rose from the dead. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So these are the things that that are written down and passed on to us from the eyewitnesses. That he died, that he rose again. So as we're going to celebrate in two weeks on Easter Sunday, what what has been passed down to us from eyewitnesses is that Jesus was dead and he got up and he walked out of his tomb 
on the third day after his death. He died on Friday, Sunday morning on the third day. He, he got up and he wasn't dead anymore. And then he went and talked to people and he had lunch with people and he overturned everything. You see, in the resurrection of Jesus, in Jesus rising from the dead, we get a glimpse from God, a foreshadowing of his end game. When he undoes all of the harm that our sin and death caused, he flips it back. He wins. He makes it all things right. And every human, if this is true, if that's what God has done in Jesus Christ, then every human being must account for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing, you can't, if this is true, you can't, it's either true or it's not, but you can't just shrug your shoulders at that. If a guy set all things right, made creation for what it's supposed to be, and changed the course of your eternal destiny, you can't go, hmm, that's interesting. Like, that, it, ma- it matters too much for that. It's what, and later in the chapter, all of these aren't on the screen, but we're still in 1 Corinthians 15. This is, what, this is how important the resurrection is. If, if I go down to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, this whole thing we're doing right now, is in vain. And your faith, getting up on a Sunday morning and coming here, is in vain. Like, you should have, you should have slept in. You should be watching television. You should be playing golf. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then, then, this, then, we're, then we're all having a royal waste of time. And not just wasting our time, but according to verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And then those who also who have fallen asleep, those who have died as Christians in Christ have perished. They're lost. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. So if that's who, if that's the importance of the resurrection, if it didn't happen, then we are all wasting our time. We're everything that the History Channel says we are. We're backwards and we're closed-minded and we're silly and we're ignorant if the resurrection didn't happen. But if it did, oh wow. If it did, there's no getting around it. And that's why Paul then makes the point of saying that there's historical eyewitness testimony that it happened. Look in verses five through eight. Uh, We're not talking about a force ghost we're not talking about a dream sequence. We're not talking about a reanimated undead zombie. We're not talking about a mass hallucination that Jesus in the flesh stepped out of, the, out of his tomb and he talked to people. He spent time with people. He ate meals with people. Look at it as we, as we keep reading in verses five through eight, that he appeared to Peter, then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. So what Paul's just done is he's listed six cases where people have seen Jesus with their own eyes. 
Like this isn't just hearsay. This isn't passed along. Paul's saying, he's not saying that someone told me that over, over in, in Winston-Salem, there's a sale at this store that happened maybe here on maybe Monday afternoon. He's saying, no, this was right here in front of me, in front of my eyes. I saw Jesus. And that there's pe- the people in Corinth, this church in Greece, they can write letters over to, to Palestine, to Israel, and they can talk to the people that saw Jesus. Like, this is not a hidden thing. This is a public thing. You can talk to Roman officials. You can talk to, to people who are currently uh, trusting Jesus and following Jesus. Some of them have died because time's gone on. Some of them have died because they're telling people about it. You could go and talk to this family whose family member has been executed for talking about Jesus. Like, Paul's saying they're here. Like, this is, this is, this is out there historical reality. And, be, and with this eyewitness testimony, the reason he, he nails it down so tightly as we go back in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised. It has to be established from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. For each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God and Father, to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So not only is the gospel our past, not only is the gospel at work now. But we can't miss that the gospel is also our future. If Jesus rose from the dead, our eternal future is set. Jesus delivers on the eternal kingdom. Death isn't the end of us. Death doesn't get victory over us. You see, if there is no future to our belief, then if life happens and then we die, and it's the end of the story... If that's true, then unfairness, suffering, pain in life would be unbearable. If that's just where the story ends, that we all live, bad things happen, and we die. What's the reason for any of it? But, according to verse 52, as I told you, the whole rest of the chapter talks about the future. According to verse verse 52 a trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Then the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortal. Then shall come to pass the saying that's written death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? If we look at our lives, just the fact that, and, and I think we have, to, we have to fight and remind ourselves of this in our busy world, in our busy, in our busy lives, that our minds and our hearts, have, we have to fight them to focus on believing that Jesus Christ is returning in the flesh to judge the living and the dead and to make all things right. Because if we don't have that perspective, it would be like judging if we, if we judge God's grace and victory in, our, in my life now, apart from that eternal section, 
when we've been there 10,000 years, when we're, when we're reigning with him forever, when, when on and on and on, we, we are there with no more tears and no more suffering. If we don't have that part of the story, it's like judging the Marvel movies based on the end of Avengers 3 instead of seeing what's going to happen in three weeks with the end of the story. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. We've stopped in the wrong place. We have to know that there's more coming and we can't miss that the gospel is about something that happens after we die. It's so easy, like I said, especially I think for, for the younger generation, like, and I'm, and I, I'm going to put myself back in that for middle age, back down with y'all on that. Um, that, that the thing that, that we're going to get to heaven one day, the thing that Jesus is going to come back. That's so easy when you're in second period or when you're having a really bad day or when you get bad news, our minds and our hearts just don't go there. Like we don't, like we're not wired that way. We're st- we get stuck in the present and we get stuck in the past and we don't look ahead to like, no matter how rough today is or no matter how good today is going on the other side it's not it's not the end we've got to have that future point looking ahead we have a grounded faith in the historic gospel a faith that is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things that aren't seen and we're still in the middle of the story there's much more to come so what What do we do with that? If this is the gospel, the crown jewel of all creation, the most glorious and amazing and hopeful thing possible, what do we do with that? We look at it and go, okay, yes, it's it's our past, present, and future. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the grave. What what do we do with that? Why why are we looking at it other than an encourager, other than a reminder? How How do we process it? Because if you're like me, your tendency is to, to go, oh, wow, okay, that's the case. I need to get back on it. I need to jump in. I need to, I need to get my life in order. I need to start moving things around. I need to start changing my priorities. I need, to, I need to, I need to, I need to do, I need to do, I need to do. But that's not what Paul calls us to. That's not what the Holy Spirit calls us to. And we go back to verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it wasn't I, but the grace of God that's with me. So when we're faced with this image, this picture, this reminder of the gospel, all we can do is put our faith and trust in Jesus. That's what he calls us to do. If you're here this morning and you're far from Christ and you've never trusted him before, then he's saying, put your trust in Jesus. If you've faithfully walked with Jesus and everything is going well in your life right now and you're praising him and and it's everything you've ever dreamed, put your trust in Jesus. If you're a believer who's struggling with doubt or fear or consequences or whatever, or, or hardship, put your trust in Jesus. It's the same response to the same gospel. See, our eternal destiny and our present hope depend on where we place our faith and trust in what God has said about what he's done. If it's true, it changes everything. If it's true, then this 
is our there's no place like home moment. And if we're judging what faith is, what Christianity is, God's faithfulness, his action by any other standard than what he's given us and his son Jesus already, then we're missing it. So we're going to respond now with, through, through another song. And uh, Britt and Johnny are going to come back up. And we're going to use this time. Pastors will be available and deacons will be available at the front. If, if you have never trusted Jesus personally, if your story in Jesus needs to start today, if you need to take th- that gospel truth that we've talked about and, and you need to apply it to yourself, then do that this morning. Don't leave this room. Don't leave this weekend, students. And get so close to connecting the dots and then letting busyness snatch you away. We're not promised tomorrow. We are promised his grace and his faithfulness right now. If you receive it. So we're going to use this last song. In student ministry, we don't, we usually just do the whole song. So we're going to, we're not going to, we're not going to end it short. We're going to just have a time of worship. So if you need someone to pray with, if you need to pray at the front, it's open. Any of us would love to talk with you. If you just need to listen, let these words wash over you. If you need to sing your heart out, whatever it is. But if this is what God has done for us, let us respond by giving him the praise that he is due and that we'll be giving him for all time if we're with him. So right now, if you would stand, we're gonna just worship Jesus together. We're available at the front. Who am I 